take out the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door, and you will notice that we are in part 19 of our never-ending series to the book of 1 Corinthians, and I entitled this morning's message, Faithful to Love. We are going to study one of the most popular passages in 1st or 2nd Corinthians, perhaps even one of the most popular passages in the Bible. People refer to it as the love chapter. If you've been in church for any length of time, you've probably heard this taught on over and over and over. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13, and there's a Bible under the seat in front of you that maybe you can pull that out. It's around page 959 if you need a little help getting there. But if you're familiar with this passage, the temptation will be, I know what the passage says, and you'll shut down. But there's a dramatic difference between knowing a passage, even memorizing a passage, and living a passage. What we're going to press into, we're going to make it intensely personal, practical, invasive, because we are going to assess whether or not the love that we demonstrate in this world is anything like Jesus at all. Does it matter? Is it effective? Is it valuable for the kingdom of God? So I want to begin by talking about the weakness of our love today. Um, our society, if you remove God, cannot define love in the way that we will be talking about it today. They have no role model. The closest thing our society can get to the type of love that we are going to discuss is the love of a parent to a child. Because the very essence of the love that we are going to talk about, what the Greek term agape means, is really a God-type love. It means a selfless, sacrificial, purposeful, others-focused love. It is seeking to give them benefit at the cost of yourselves. Now, the world can say things like uh, they can be nice and they can be dedicated and they can be selfless to some degree. They can be a bunch of things. And the love out there can be strong, but it doesn't, it pales in comparison to the love that God has demonstrated. Um, when we say that we love someone, it's intriguing what we mean by that. Uh, for example, um, if I asked you, tell me why you love your significant other, your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, whatever it is, tell me why you love them. Here's what we would tend to do. We fall into a pattern of saying things of how they benefit us. We'll say things like, well, you know what? They're always understanding when I'm in a difficult time. Um, they, they, they clean and cook, and they do things within our home that helps our home run nicely. Uh, they work really hard to provide for our family. And it goes on and on and on. As a matter of fact, it's very similar. It doesn't change very much. I was, uh, we just had the end of the year party for my older daughter's soccer team. I've been coaching them for years, and I'm one of the coaches. And they had all the girls gathered there, and we're eating cupcakes, and, you know, uh, we're kind of just having fun. It was freezing outside. And, and one of the coach moms, uh, one of the team moms said, girls, let's go through one by one, and you tell Coach Kim and Coach Lance what you appreciate about them it was like deer in the headlights they were scared out of their minds they're like i don't even know what to say everyone's staring at me so they all kind of 
you know, stammered through this of, uh, I like when you, you know, you were encouraging to me. I like when you taught me a new skill. I like when you were patient with me trying to learn something, right? We do the exact same thing when we talk about loving other people. Here's the problem with it. When we say, I love them because of this benefit, the next question should be, so if they stop that benefit, you stop loving them. That's where it breaks down. Agape is not that. Agape is the dialogue of, I love them actively with no benefit to me at all. It is a presence of love. It is a mindset of favor towards, and we don't have words to describe that. We don't know how to talk like that. Uh, we have to appreciate the strength of God's love. When talking about this type of love, the Bible says that God demonstrated this type of love when he sent his only son to die for the sins of his enemies. That's the extreme nature of the love of God. That's what agape is. So until you can wrap your mind around the idea that you would set because of your love, you would sacrifice your child for the sake of a sexual predator. Until you can wrap your mind around that concept, we are not yet even touching and understanding the love of God for that is indeed what he did. For Jesus to love, he said, greater love has no one than this, but what? To lay down your life for his friends. Jesus demonstrated his love to the extreme degree. It was not just that he washed the disciples' feet. It was that he gave all that he had and died on the cross that we might be free. This is the level of love. Make no mistake, the love of God is so intensely strong. It is so far beyond wherever you think that it is, you now need to take a stone and throw it a million miles away, and then you may be able to touch it. The love of God is extreme. What is intriguing about it is that we say, well, I'm never going to love like that, so it doesn't matter. Let me correct that view. The Bible commands us to love. It does not say how you doing with love. It does not say how do you feel about love. As a matter of fact, biblically speaking, love has little to do with how do you feel today about the person. As a matter of fact, if we're talking about agape, it is only partly important. For example, in agape, was there full emotion behind it? Yes, in agape, there is emotion. But understand, it does not have to do with how are you feeling emotionally that day. If you would say the phrase, I no longer love my spouse, biblically, what you are saying is, I am no longer going to treat them in a loving fashion. Because we say it as to how we feel about them. We use different words and we say, um, I do not feel attracted to them. I do not feel warm towards them. Now, these things all may be true. I'm not denigrating those. What I'm saying is we cannot say biblically, I do not love them anymore and have it say anything about our feelings. It's about our activity. Love is an active, purposeful drive 
in Scripture. And it is commanded. Now, there is no way to do this type of love without taking hits. It is, by definition, sacrificial. So, do you remember the phrase when John the Baptist uh, had his buddies come up and say, Man, everybody's going over to Jesus. Your ministry's kind of going out. They're all going to go to him. He's getting more popular. Doesn't that bother you? And John the Baptist's response is, He must become greater and I must become less. That is agape. It is the idea that I will pour out for another at my cost to where I am growing less and less. I am decreasing and they are increasing. That is the nature. So until it costs you, we are probably not into agape yet. This, again, is commanded of us. We are too much like the world still in this area. We are still mostly loving people that love us. We wrestle there. We have trouble in our marriages. We have trouble with our friends. We have trouble with people that we even opted and selected to be near. Whereas the Bible says that we are to agape our enemies. We can't even get there because we have yet to even love those that are loving or those that are lovable around us. That is already a challenge for us, much less an idea that we are now actively, purposefully loving people that are unlovable, that we don't have any interest in loving, and our enemies. That too is commanded in Scripture. But the reason why it's commanded is because we can, because he did. We are not here to fake a love. We're not here to conjure up something and, and, and play games. We are actually to do what is now being poured into us to pour it out to others. It has been role modeled for us through God, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, through other role models. Um, give me an example on this one. I keep a very close eye on the stories my children tell me from school, right? So we're sitting around the dinner table and how'd it go at school? And uh, my little one, Andy, she um, said, you know what? There was, a new, there was a new kid in class and the teacher said, who will show him around today? And I raised my hand as fast as I could and I got to show him around today. Why does she do that? Because that's what daddy role models for her. The idea is that I demonstrate that loving other people is absolutely high in importance. And so my girls will tend to treat other people the way they see me role modeling it out. In the same way, our Heavenly Father has poured out an abundance of grace, an abundance of forgiveness, an abundance of kindness upon us to where we are filled over top and we are to then pour that out to other people. It's not like we're just trying to come up with the idea or we're going to try to dig it out somewhere. It's that it has been poured into you and should be a natural outpouring to other people. Unless you don't see God like that. If your view and perspective of God is still such that he is a legalist and he's ready to smash you at any point and he holds you accountable to every little thing you do and he's constantly on your case and he's critical of your spirit, then you will not have anything to give other people. Have you ever allowed it to wash over you and fill you up? 
Because all the descriptions in the Bible is that you have more than enough. What has God not done in your life that you have been so unloving to other people? The, the problem I have with some people's view of scriptural love is that they think that it's just nice. Let's just try to be a little nicer. That to me, although it is true, sounds weak. I don't like that. Let me tell you that agape is the essence of strength. Here's why. Agape was demonstrated that while Jesus had been lashed and beaten and spat at and humiliated, stripped of his clothing, nailed to a cross, while he's being hung up, he has the power to look over and say, Dad, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. That is strength. That is power. That is agape. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. God's love is never weak. Whatever you make it out to be, it must not be weak. God's love is never weak. And it is the kind of love that is being asked of us. If you haven't already, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're actually just going to finish the last verse of chapter 12 just to set a tone. And then we'll read through the entire chapter. It's a short chapter. But it begins like this. Paul says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I have deliver, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. You see, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning that we would be able to worship you and sit in a place of peace, soaking in your word, learning from you, having you role model it in front of us, reminding us of that which has been poured out for us with your extreme grace, your extreme love and mercy. May we be understanding of its overflowing. Open our eyes that we might be able to love like you love. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's talk about verse 31. We closed with that last week, and I just want to touch on a few things. Scholars aren't quite sure how to read the sentence, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. Uh, some scholars would say, 
you know, the Greek is so open, it actually can mean Corinthians. He was rebuking them because they were earnestly desiring. They wanted what they considered the greater gifts, the showy ones, the ones that made it look like God was really with them. Uh, they were not interested in the ones maybe that were behind the scenes that built up the church. They wanted to do the things that are flashy. Other scholars would say, no, that's not correct. What Paul is trying to say is their view of what was great was improper. They needed to go after the greater ones, the ones that actually were beneficial to the church. I would suggest to you, doesn't matter. Because both are true. The Corinthians did have it wrong. They were heading for the flashy. And yes, they needed to learn that the more important ones are the ones they weren't looking at. So yeah, it's both true. But what he says is, I will now show you still a more excellent way. So let's talk about that for a moment. Um, I hope it's very clear to you that the idea of preaching and teaching and pastoring and shepherding this church as being the senior pastor is not just a job to me. It is a lifestyle for me. It is who I am in essence. I don't, I don't quite know where I start and the job stops. I don't, I don't know that. And I spend a lot of time dwelling and dreaming about what it could be like here. Uh, for example, I dream of ideas where uh, we're in the midst of worship and everybody's all in. The voices, everybody's ringing out their voice and it's one huge uh, tumultuous sound up to God. Our hands are up in the air and we are all in. Some are laying down face down. Some are on their knees. Some are able to jump for joy and dance before the Lord. And I think about the, what if while we're talking about God's word, the Holy Spirit is breaking out among us and people are getting saved even while we're still talking and they're falling at the altar. And I'm thinking about what if the Holy Spirit breaks out and there's, there's all kinds of giftings that is going around our congregation. What if you could come into this church with cancer? And Jesus meets you here heals you through the power of the healing gift from someone else And then you go out without cancer I mean, i'm thinking about all this stuff and it absolutely Consumes my mind to know that the power of god can be here and then I feel like god said but lance there's a more excellent way Let me ask you this If you come in with cancer and leave with no cancer how has society been transformed? How has the lost been found? If we are filled up and we have an amazing encounter with Jesus, has it really told our community anything? The more excellent way for the church is to own love with all that it has because that is a transformative power that echoes out. I am not putting down any of the things I said, I will still dream of those. But understand that ultimate effect of the church upon the world of transforming lives and changing people's stories is actually about the intense love that you will demonstrate. It is a more excellent way because the impact is greater. If we have an awesome time here together, that's great. If we have an incredible experience here together, it is fantastic. But ultimately, if it does not translate out of these walls, we have yet to arrive. So what kind of love is that? 
Well, that's what we're talking about. Uh, We pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 13. He said, let me reiterate to you a little bit more on how important this is. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Is this exaggeration? It seems to be at least partly exaggerated. He's trying to hype the intensification, but is it possible to speak in the tongues of men? Next week, we're addressing the issue of speaking in tongues. I believe that's what's next. And we're going to talk about the idea of the gift of tongues. Regardless of what you believe, I'm telling you, Corinthians were engaged with it. Paul knew everything about it, and they were going to just talk about it as if it's fact. He said, let's say I speak in the tongues of men. I can speak languages I did not learn. Um, but is it possible to have the tongues of angels? Can you speak an angelic language? I've read commentaries that said there's no such thing. There's no evidence in scripture that there's anything about an angelic language. I think that's bogus and baloney. Here's why. When John the revelator had a revelation, he had times when he heard a voice that sounded like many waters. He heard things said in heaven, and it doesn't mean that they had to speak an earthly language. Why in the world, what, English is so impressive that now the heavens have to go, I speak English? That's ridiculous. Why can't they go, I have a level of talking that is so higher than yours, everything on earth is merely a derivative of that. That would probably make more sense. Now, whether or not there is an angelic language that they can all fire back and forth, is it possible for a man to learn that? I don't know that. Can it be possible for the Holy Spirit to gift that? I don't know that. Is it necessary? Does it matter? Well, think about it this way. Here's what he's trying to say. Let's push it to the exaggeration. Let's say that we have the ability... To praise, to pray in a language to where we are absolutely unhindered in the sense of, do you know how many of us are scared to pray out loud? There are so many of us, it would probably be the majority in this room that could not come up here and lead us in prayer out loud. Why? Because we're scared to death of saying something stupid. We don't, it's not that we're afraid of God, it's that we're afraid of each other. And so we always want to say the right thing. How do I pray to where it sounds holy? How do I say this to where it sounds like I'm intelligent? How do I say this to where everybody buys in and they're like, yeah, I totally believe that one. Let's say, for example, you could completely take your mind and for a moment say, stop analyzing, shut that to a new level and be able to cry out to God and let your whole heart, passion and spirit pour out to God and you are just firing off into all sorts of engagement with God and you're 100% all in and you're not freaking out about what you're saying. You're not trying to analyze it, but you're all in with Jesus. Let's say you could do that. If you don't have love, that's just an irritant to God. Why? Well, let's talk about it practically. You treat people horribly mean and nasty on the outside, and you walk in here and start unloading your spirit to God. And he's not supposed to go, whoa, wait, what are you doing? You're just irritating me. Don't even, you know what? Shut it. I have no interest in you right now. You think that you're going to play that game? You're going to act like that out here, and you're going to come in here and play like that? 
and I'm supposed to be all into it. Oh, that's great. So now you want to empty your spirit and you want to have all this benefit to you, but you have no interest in loving my people that you're going to treat my bride of Christ like that. You're going to treat my children like that. And then you're going to want to come and hang out with me and have date time. Is that how it's going to work? I don't think so. If I could do that, if I could unhinge, if I could go all in, but I'm not loving. What's it say? I'm irritating to the ears of God. Wow, that's intense. If I have prophetic powers, imagine that. Everything that you communicate in a certain setting is thus saith the Lord. You're talking for God. I mean, we're talking old school prophets. We're talking about Old Testament prophets that you could speak the very voice of God. It's as if he was able to use you as a microphone and you're communicating. This is what God says. I can tell you about yesterday. I can tell you about today. I can tell you about the future because I am speaking on behalf of the almighty. Let's say you had that power or you could understand all the mysteries that God has all these secret things moving around. Someone could come to you and they could say, I don't understand what God is doing in my life. There's so much complication. I don't know whether or not I should go here or take this job or do this. I'm having this ailment. And I don't understand how this is all spinning together. And you could unravel it right there in an office. You could begin to say, I know the mysteries. This is what God is doing. If I have all knowledge where you can grasp all truths and you begin to be able to relate them in an easy fashion, that learning is easy easy for you and you have all of that if i have faith all faith absolute absolute surety that when god says it that's it it's going to be done i have no fears i have no doubts i have no worries because you could say anything to me and i would know what god says and i already believe that you cannot move me you cannot shake me you cannot change me because i have all the faith in the world so much that i can remove mountains i can make the impossible possible if i have if i give away all that i have he keeps going but if i have not love i'm nothing all that cool stuff doesn't count because love's not there. Those are pretty neat things. Those are powerful things. They're world-altering things, but they don't count if you're not loving in an agape fashion. If I give away all I have, that phrase in Greek is not the dramatic one-time, da-da, give everything I have. It's dole it out as you receive it in small increments over a long period of time with commitment and until you have nothing. It's easier to do the one big, I'm all out, here you go, right? No, 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 that's not the word here. Let's say you give and you give and you give and you pour out and pour out and pour out and pour out until you have nothing. That's pretty cool. That's pretty intense. Let's talk about that for a moment. Some of us really believe that we need to go to church to get filled up more, but we're pouring out nothing. Ultimately, what we do is we come in and we say, Lord, fill me up. And he's like, you look pretty full right about now. <laughs> yeah, Lord, just top me off. If you could just, why, why would I do that? You didn't, you didn't pour out, you didn't use any of that stuff. 
Why am I filling you up for more? Because you're... When Paul talks about being poured out like a drink offering, when he talks about this idea that everywhere he goes, he's giving, 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 all the time of his time and his energy and his attention and all these different things, that is significant. Do you remember the time when Jesus said, when the woman touched the hem of his robe, he said, power has gone out from me. There was a drain upon him. Think about the times that he was exhausted and he had to withdraw and be with the father. Why? Because he was giving, 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 giving. Everywhere he went, someone wanted his ear. Someone wanted to talk to him. Somebody wanted something from him. And he just kept giving. And he would ultimately have to draw a boundary, pull back, and recharge with the father. But understand this. Only the empty part of a container can be filled. Do not come in with a full container and say, Lord, fill me if you're already full. That doesn't make sense. Your Christianity, your engagement at church will seem dry and useless because you're not being filled up for anything because you're already topped off. You'll come in and go, I didn't get anything out of that. That's because you didn't utilize any of it. You're not empty. You haven't gone down. Remember the Old Testament story of the woman who was about to, she was poor and she was about to die and she only had a little bit of oil left and she was going to make one last meal for her son and then they were going to die. And the prophet said to her, go borrow every vessel every jar every container you can possibly grab and she went and borrowed it from her neighbors and when she poured the oil it filled up that container and then that container and that one until all of them were full once they were all full what did the bible say and the oil stopped what flowing why because you can't fill a full container if you're full you're probably not going to receive much of anything It's if you spent all week pouring out and pouring out and pouring out, then when you come here, there's an intense experience by which you are filled back up. If I give away all that I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, that's full-on martyrdom. I'm all in, God. You have everything from me. I've surrendered all to you. If I do that but have not love, I just gained nothing. Nothing goes on your account. No reward, no nothing. It doesn't matter. That's how important love is. And that's the part that we're, we have to get this right. There are so many other things in our Christianity that we may well get wrong. And ultimately, does it matter? Of course it matters, but not as much as this. For example, doctrine and theology. Is there stuff in our life that is askew? Yes, there is. Are we still wrestling with addictions and bondages? Yes, we are. Are we wrestling in a bunch of different areas? Yes, of course we are. That's human. But if we're going to get anything right, we have to get love right. Jesus asked about what was the most important thing. And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. For on the premise of love hangs the entire law and the prophets. All of the Bible is summed up in the issue of getting love right. If there's one thing we must get right, it is love. The most haunting verse, most haunting passage in Scripture for me is Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone, Jesus said, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Whatever that means, it means they did some pretty cool stuff. But his love was not in them. Love is the test. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, Jesus said, that that you love one another. 
Just as I have loved you, so also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Love is the test. And love must be the motive. Understand that you can do righteousness without love, and it doesn't count. The Pharisees were more righteous than the disciples, but it didn't count. It must be the motivation. The Pharisees were not adhering to God's law out of love. They were hearing uh, to God's law out of strict obedience to a code. It doesn't count. What type of love? Verse 4. As we go through this descriptive list, love is patient, love is kind, I need you to ask yourself a series of questions, whichever one matters most to you right now. The first one is this. Has God demonstrated this to me? Then the other questions that are follow-up is, am I demonstrating this love at work, at home, in my thought life? These are the questions that matter. So we begin with the first, love is patient. Macrothumia, the term in Greek, it means to be wronged and not retaliate. It, it, has God ever been patient with you? Seriously? Has he been anything but patient with you? Have you ever known that you need to spend time with him, but you chose to sin instead? I have. Have you ever willingly known the right direction and chose the wrong direction on purpose? Have you ever been asked the Lord to, by the Lord to do something, but you decided that was too much of a cost to you and you did not? And he's still with you. And he still walks. How many times have you done that? To me, innumerable. I don't have an answer for you. I am still continuing to sin. In what ways have you broken his commandments? And yet you arrive at church or you arrive in a prayer time at home and Jesus is there waiting for you and telling you that you are his precious child. Has he been patient with you? Then let me ask you this. Why do you have no patience for other people? Why is there the lash back? Why is there the, how dare you hurt me, or I'm done with you, forget you? Why is that acceptable? Why is the impatience there? What are you expecting from other people? You expecting them to do it right all the time, when no one expects that of you. Why are you so hard on everyone? It says love is kind. This is the one that we think of as sweetness and gentleness. A lot of us are just flat out harsh. That's it. There's no squishiness to you at all. What is wrong with you? I got to church this morning and on my door handle was a little stuffed toy sheep that said Lammy on it. And so I went around and I, was, I, wanted to get, I went around to look for my staff to give them lammy hugs. So I held on to the lamb and I ran around to give them hugs because it was super soft. Why do I do that? Because that's what was role modeled to me in Jesus. Jesus allowed little kids to climb up on his lap and he laid his hands on them. I'll tell you this. No children will ever run up to a stranger, climb up on his lap if there's no gentleness and tenderness. There's no way that's going to happen. 
Jesus knew gentleness and tenderness. Jesus, when his eyes looked at someone else, they knew he felt what they feel. Why is that not in us? Where is our gentleness and our sweetness? Love does not envy. Uh, Every commentary I read said there's two kinds of envy. There's the I want what you have and there's the I don't want you to have it even though I don't want it. (laughs) Right? You know what I'm talking about. Which one? Think of the second one and how wicked that is. Literally, it's a... You know what? You don't even like that style of car, but the fact that your neighbor just got a brand new car, you just can't stand that they would have that. You don't want it. You don't even want that kind of car, but just God, don't let them have it. What type of wickedness is that? This, this idea of, of envy of, I I just want you to be down so I can get better. Where is that coming from? That's not love. That's not that love does not boast. It does not brag about the idea of, of man, I love so much better than you. How stupid does that sound? I mean, seriously, you'd go, you guys love. Yeah, no, no, no. You got good love, but seriously, true love right here. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Wait, what? No, that's not right. Love is love is not arrogant. It is not constantly going, you remember what I did for you, right? You remember what I did for you? All I do is constantly do things for you. And and you're reminding everyone about all the acts of love you've ever done for them. That is not agape. It is not rude. It is not trying to just blow over somebody. It is not uh, neglectful of their feelings. True agape is understanding where someone's at and working with them in that atmosphere and not destroying them along the way. Uh, It does not insist on its own way. You know what I'm talking about? Those entitlement people. You know what I mean? Where everything's like, you know what? I I really don't do it like that. I really don't. This is the way I roll. This is kind of my thing. You know what? I understand you do it. I just don't do it. I don't do that. Everyone's, oh, it's very particular. It's all about me. It's all about me. Stop it. It's not loving. Why is it about you? Why are we not rolling with their idea? Why are we not going with them? Well, my way is just a little bit better. Stop Love doesn't do that. It's not always insisting on its own way. It is not irritable. That word in Greek is exasperated to temper. Why are you so angry at everyone else? Why is your cup so full that you can't handle anyone ticking you off? Why is that not being addressed? It's one thing to say, I'm seeking counseling. I'm working on it with the Lord to get my level down. That we can all understand. But this whole attitude of that's just how I am. That's not acceptable. That's not right. That is not the way of a Christian. You do not have the freedom and right to have your level so full. You're blowing up on your children. You're exploding on your wife. You're exploding on your husband. That literally the conversation in your house is let's not talk to mommy today. She's not in a good mood. They're setting out cones around your bedroom. So they have to wind around. Why is that? acceptable to you has god not demonstrated grace to you has he not demonstrated patience with you is there something that god has not done for you that allows your level to be that full that people can't even be people around you love is not resentful that that's an accountant word it means it doesn't store up wrongs it doesn't remember everything that the other person did wrong to them here's my problem in a lot of marriage counseling I hear the phrase, he's been doing that for 15 years. How do you know that? You've been writing it down? 
we have this whole idea of you do it again, and this is going to happen. You do it anytime you're constantly adding it, we have a problem. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have healthy boundaries. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have serious, hard conversations. What I'm telling you is, if we're silently just adding up, waiting to explode, it's not acceptable. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It never has joy when bad things happen to other people, right? Because here's how it kind of goes, right? It's a little bit with the envy thing where you go, oh, did your beamer blow up? Oh, wah. that's really sad for you. I'll pray. It rejoices with the truth. It just wants the truth to be known, whatever it is. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Most of those words have to do with trust, right? And this is the way that sometimes loving people are a bit naive because they believe maybe today. Are you just so critical and suspicious and cynical that God can't even get through to you anymore? It's just always, you know what? People are stupid, period. That's it. All you're going to do is disappoint me. So go ahead, bring it. I got my wall about out here. You think you can penetrate that? I'm not even barely listening to you. I can see your mouth moving. That's about it. Is that you? Because that's not this. That's not Jesus. It endures all things. That is not a, I just silently suffer and wait for it. That's not it. That's not the Greek term. The Greek term means to rise up under it, conquer it, and transform the situation that is weighing down on you. It's a power word. You see, love never ends. Why? It is just as important in the next life as it is in this life. God will never cease to be love. As for prophecies, and he uses a whole paragraph to explain how stuff ends but not love. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Why in the world do you need to speak in tongues when we're in heaven? Jesus has returned back. We're all in the same language. Hey dude, why are you trying to be weird? We're all in together. Look at that. Why are you going, man, I got to prophesy what the Lord said. You need to shut it because God's right there and he's talking to us. Right? If the Lord's talking, I don't need to hear you. Right? He's right here. It doesn't matter anymore. All the gifting that they were so fired up about at some point becomes useless in the next life. The, when the perfect come, that's when Jesus comes back. And we're translated. There's no more need for that. He said, let me give you another example about how stuff passes away. It's normal. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, and indeed the Corinthians were famous for making mirrors, bronze mirrors. So that, of course that's why he uses that analogy. And they didn't have glass mirrors, that wasn't until later, so they had bronze mirrors. And some go, well, it's because bronze never gives an exact reflection. And then other people go, you know what, they're pretty dang good. The point is, it's not the real person. You're reflecting, you're seeing an image of something, not reality. Either way, he said, for we see in a mirror, mirror, mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall now fully, even as I've been fully known. So now, what are we left with? Well, there's faith, a firm belief. There's hope, a true expectation. And there's love, agape. All these remain with us. They dwell with us. They're the sphere in which we live. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Why? Because it makes all the others shine. 
Okay, so let's close it. Our love is too weak. We are being commanded to love differently. We must take that whatever we are doing now and move it forward. It is not sufficient for us to not work on how we ought to love. And if you're having a hard time drumming up any love, there's probably a block from what you have received from the Lord. It is very possible that you have not felt the love of the Lord pour down upon you. Remember Paul said, I want to pray for you that you would know his love, that you would know the full extent of his love. Why? Because a lot of us don't believe it. We know the phrase that Jesus died for us. We don't know what it means. We know the phrase that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We know it from a football game. But we don't feel it for ourselves. Wherever the block is, we must work to remove that, that we might be able to love more rightly, more deeply. Now, before I pray, after I pray, we have a, we have a short video because we need to translate this out one further. If we learn it, that is beautiful. If we learn it and pass it on, it's even better. Remember, these things were role modeled for us and we need to be able to role model them for others. And we have that opportunity coming up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for your incredible patience and kindness that you have poured out upon us. Father, if there are any in this room that have not yet felt your love, Lord, I pray that you would open their heart and pour it out upon them today. Help us to see you and see other people the way you do. In Jesus' name, amen.